Let's go to the Lord and pray. Father, we do ask that you would just uh, minister to our hearts during this time. And maybe this morning as we're listening on live stream, there's uh, frustration. There's, Lord, there's, um, Lord, uncertainty. All kinds of emotions that people perhaps are feeling. But, Lord, I know that the enemy comes along then and he tries to pull us away from you brings the doubt, uh, he tempts us, um, and Lord, we need to be reminded that there is victory in you. We already have victory, but Lord, in our daily lives, and there is a way to combat the enemy who comes during our weaknesses, and I pray this morning that we would be atten attentive. Bless everyone that's tuned in. Bless everyone that's, that's listening right now. Touch our hearts with your word. We need you, Lord. We need you to speak to us through your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we have continued to go through Matthew's gospel, coming back to Matthew's gospel, last week we saw the baptism of Jesus, and we looked at the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness, and we're going to see that the wilderness is going to be mentioned once again. And he's at the Jordan River at this barren place, and he's ministering. He, he's crying out that repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And we know that John was a fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy of the forerunner to Christ, a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And people, as we read the gospel accounts, were coming from all over Jerusalem, all over Judea, all over Israel, from the surrounding areas. So John didn't go out seeking the crowds. They came and sought him. And they're coming out to the Jordan, and he's baptizing. It's a baptism of repentance, and, and he is proclaiming, prepare the way of the Lord, telling people to repent, turn, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the religious leaders would come to check out this one, this man of the desert that's wearing camel skin and eating locusts, dipping them in wild honey. And it's amazing the ministry that he had. And then as we saw that Jesus would come, John had spoke about the coming one, the Messiah, that's going to come, and I baptize you with water unto repentance, but one is coming after me that is my year, that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit, as Jesus, you remember, told his disciples before he ascended into heaven, that he said, wait in Jerusalem for the coming upon of the Holy Spirit to give you the power to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And of course, that would be fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. But John says he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and he's going to baptize you with fire. And I want to remind us, I think it's a good reminder at this point, that the Lord wants to do that purging work in our lives. And fire is something that can be used to purify metals. And as you put the metal in the fire, uh, it becomes more purified. The dross, the impurities come to the top and then it's scraped off. And he wants to do that purging work in your life and in my life during this time. And it's not easy. 
It kind of, you know, it feels like the heat is turned up on us. But know that the Lord is working in conforming us into the image of Jesus Christ, drawing us closer to him. He wants to have more intimacy, more closeness, more relationship with him than ever before. And in this pause, this is perhaps a time that we can do that more readily to where we can take the time to really, as the weather gets warm, to take a walk, to, to take our Bibles, to take a pad, a, a pencil, allow the Lord to speak to us as we read. Maybe journaling is something that will help you and minister to you uh, just to be able to continue in the word of God and allow the voice of the Lord to speak to your heart as you read. So he wants to do that purging work in us. And of course, Jesus, as he's at the Jordan there being baptized by John, we see the Trinity as uh, the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And then the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus coming out of the waters uh, as uh, we see the Trinity and now continuing uh, in Matthew's gospel, in verse 1 of Matthew 4, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After Jesus is baptized, uh, and Jesus had in that baptism identified with us as sinners, he's now led by the Spirit into the wilderness where once again he identifies with us in, in temptation. In other words, Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 declares to us that Jesus, who is, who is our great high priest, can sympathize with our weaknesses, for he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. Now Mark's gospel tells us that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, continuing in Matthew 4, verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days and fasted um, 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. So it was after Jesus had fasted for a period of 40 days, he is hungry, obviously, physically weak, and then Satan will come to tempt Jesus. So after his baptism comes this time of, of testing and temptation. And it's interesting that I, I believe that we are going to be getting close to that 40 days where we, you know, have had to stay at home. Now we're going to go to the safer at home. And, and I know that the enemy is coming at us and wants to tempt you and me. You see, it was after Jesus fasted for a period of 40 days, being hungry, obviously, physically weak, Satan comes to tempt Jesus. So after his baptism comes a, a, that time, and we find that to be true in our own lives in two different ways. In other words, what I mean by that is that oftentimes after a, a wonderful time, uh, after a time of uh, maybe the Lord really spoke to you, maybe uh, the Word of God touched your heart, maybe there was a time uh, where you're really growing in the Lord. Uh, oftentimes, I, I, I will tell Christians, particularly when they're young in the Lord, they come to salvation, they're excited about the Word of God, they're growing in the Word, they're growing in the Lord, they're desiring to serve the Lord, and all of a sudden, wham, the enemy hits them and begins to attack them and begins to tempt them and confuse them and bring doubts. And they can be kind of, um, you know, surprised by that or confused by that. And so spiritual warfare is very, very real. And those of us who have walked with the Lord for a number of years, we know that to be true, don't we? And it can come after a very 
special time in the Lord where you're growing, a season where you're growing in the Lord, you're being used of the Lord, uh, the tempter, the enemy is going to come and he's going to try to confuse us. He's going to try to tempt us away from the Lord. He's going to come and bring doubts. He's going to attack us. He's going to throw the fiery darts at us, as Ephesians chapter 6 says. So it can happen during that time. And many of us have found that to be true in our own lives. But also he will come to us when we're feeling weak, just as he comes to Jesus when he's weak physically, 40 days of fasting. And he comes at, at us at our weakest moments. And know this, particularly as we go longer, where we're feeling isolated, perhaps, where we're feeling like, Lord, I'm just really hungry to get back to, you know, work and to my routines, get back to what was a sense of normality, as I'm really hungry for to get back to fellowship, he will come at you and me. And he's going to come at us, try to confuse us, try to weigh us down, try to, to, to tempt us away from the Lord. So we need to be aware that it is very real. This happened not only to Jesus, but it happens to you and to me. And the question here as we continue is why would the Spirit lead Jesus into this desert experience to be tempted of Satan? Remember that God does not tempt you and me to sin. According to James chapter 1, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Now, there are times where the Lord will take us through a time of testing. There's the testing of our faith. Remember Genesis chapter 22, that God's tested Abraham, we read in the beginning of that chapter. And he said, Abraham, take your son your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mount that I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice to me. And Abraham, there, as he showed faith and as he was obedient to the Lord, that the Lord, before the, the story ends, of course, would stop Abraham and say, Abraham, now I know that you love me. And so there are those who will come along and say, well, God tempted me to sin. And, and I've had people tell me that. Um, God tempted me uh, because uh, he got me in this situation and I was tempted to lie or I was tempted to get angry. Uh, he tempted me to steal. Uh, he tempted me uh, in bringing this relationship into my life to where I ended up sinning. Listen, God doesn't tempt us to sin. Now, Satan is the one that tempts us into sinning and being disobedient turning away from God and pursuing sin. And so just as the enemy Satan comes to Jesus here in Matthew, verse 4, we continue reading, Now when the tempter came to him, uh, in verse 3 of the chapter, he too will come to us and tempt us to sin, to fall away from God. So we can learn much from this, how we can't be victorious when the enemy comes to us and causes dry times spiritually, difficulty and temptation. So Jesus here in the wilderness, 40 days fasting in the Judean wilderness that we discuss. It's not like wilderness here in Colorado uh, that we have beautiful trees and mountains and streams and lakes. This is the Judean wilderness, which is a desert. It's, uh, it's very mountainous, but it's uh, very barren. It's very hot. It's a rugged terrain. And that's where Jesus is. Uh, as John was out there in the Judean wilderness baptizing uh, at the Jordan near the Dead 
Sea. Here, Jesus would then leave the Jordan. He would go up into those mountains there that are very, uh, very deserty, very rugged terrain, very little vegetation. And, and again, as we continue in verse 3, that as the tempter came to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. So Satan says, if, or it's better translated since, you're the Son of God. He knows who Jesus is. He knows his powers. Then turn these rocks into food. And, and Jesus answers, but he, he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So as we look at three temptations, and many of you, you're familiar with uh, the temptation of Jesus that's recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. But remember this, that John, in uh, 1 John, would write, and he would tell us not to have a love for the world. Now, when John says that, he's not saying that you don't love people in the world. We are to love people, love them enough to give them the truth and give them the gospel. But when John says don't have a love for the world, um, remember this, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When John comes along and says don't have a love for the world, it's not a contradiction. What he's saying is the world's system, the world's ways, the world's philosophy, the world's pleasures. Don't have a love for that. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, number one, the lust of the eyes, number two, and then thirdly, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So Satan, who is called the prince of the power of the air, the, the ruler of this world, will tempt us in those three areas. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, we are, are warned by Paul. He said, don't be ignorant of Satan's devices. These are three areas where he's going to come against us to try to, to have us sin. Uh, and we see that here with Jesus. He, he did it clear back in the beginning with Eve. You know the story in Genesis chapter 3. God had told Adam that you can eat of all the trees of the garden, but don't eat of that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. So very easy to understand, very direct. Don't eat of that tree. Don't partake of it. And if you do, you will die. And so Satan comes along to Eve and, and begins to tempt her. And Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that is, the lust of the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes, it tells us. That, uh, or, you know, first it was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes. And it was desirable to make one wise. Satan said, uh, you won't die, you'll be like God. That's the pride of life. So those three areas that we see that he came against Eve. Uh, it was good for food, the lust of the flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes. And desirable, you know, the tree to make one wise, Satan said, the pride of life. And it is in those three areas that Satan will tempt you and me. Hey, if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. The, the lust of the flesh. Now, you may be wondering, what is so bad about that? Jesus turning rocks into bread. It's only bread. And as you look at those mountains, those limestone mountains, it almost looks like loaves of bread, the way they're shaped and stuff. 
Jesus would say in John chapter 8, I do nothing of myself, for I always do the things that please him. I always do the work of my Father, do the will of my Father. Remember that Jesus just went through his baptism and heard the voice of the Father saying that this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And it was the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that drove Jesus, led him into the wilderness where he's fasting for 40 days. And what Satan is trying to get Jesus to do is to act independently of the Father. It was the Father's will that Jesus be in the wilderness fasting, to be hungry. And Satan, who is so subtle, says, hey, you're the Son of God. You're starving. You've been fasting long enough. Uh, you think that you're taking this a little bit too seriously and doing what the Father wants you to do? Make some bread. Feed yourself. Feed your flesh. And for Jesus to submit to Satan's suggestion and satisfy his hunger would have been contrary to his father's will. And so Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, which affirms that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, it is better to obey God's word than to satisfy human fleshly desires and pleasure, the lust of the flesh. And it is an area that Satan in our culture, in our society, has so many weapons. So many weapons to pull us away to where God wants us to be, what he wants us to do, to get involved in the worldly pleasures, and especially, listen, Christian, when we're feeling weak, when we're feeling dry, when we feel barren, He'll come along and say, please your flesh. Just look at that image on the computer, you know, one more time. You know, just indulge in, 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 in taking some drinks of alcohol or, you know, taking drugs. He, he'll tempt us in worldly pleasures and worldly things. And he has a lot of weapons that, and temptations that can come our way that, that he can pull us into that area. Speaking of bread, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus, when talking to the multitudes in John chapter 6 there in Capernaum, the previous day he had fed 5,000 with just five loaves of bread and two fish. And the people came, the multitudes came looking for Jesus again. They were hungry. And Jesus said to them, you seek me, not because you saw the, the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life. And Jesus would say, I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the question that I have for us this morning is, are you hungry? Are you thirsty right now? So where are you going to be satisfied? And what the enemy will do is he'll trick us. He'll get us to believe. And in the world around us, to try to get us to believe. Just pursue fleshly, worldly things. That'll satisfy you. It will not satisfy you, maybe for a moment. But it will leave you empty and dry and barren. And I pray that as a lot of us, we know this that I want to, Lord, be refreshed and renewed and be filled and satisfied. And it comes by knowing you.
I want to take of you, Lord. Lord, I am hungry in my soul. We will see here in, in a couple weeks when we go into Beatitude that he will say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it comes by drawing close to him and knowing him and, and just pursuing him, not pursuing the things of the world because those things will not ultimately satisfy you. So Satan knows that this is a temptation that he can use to draw us away from the bread of life, Jesus Christ, to take us away from being in that place where he wants us to be and doing his will. And we need to be prayerful. We need to be careful that we don't let the lust of the flesh and make those things a priority over just being close and intimate and in fellowship with him. And then in verses 5 through 7, the second temptation, an appeal to the pride of life. Verse 5, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your feet against the stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So notice in the second temptation that Jesus is taken to Jerusalem, to the temple, up on the pinnacle, or the highest point of the temple. And then Satan, he quotes scripture. From Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. In other words, since you are the Son of God, it is written that God will take care of you, protect you, prove it by jumping off the pinnacle of the temple. His angels will receive you and rescue you, even keep you from stubbing your toe. But here's the interesting thing here, that Satan conveniently leaves out part of the scripture that he is quoting. He doesn't quote scripture exactly. He, he quotes just part of the scripture. And if you go to Psalm 91, verse 11, you see that it reads, For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. That is God's way. And Jesus knew this. So he answers accordingly. You shall not tempt the Lord your God. The Father will provide for me. I'm not going to tempt him. And one of the things to remember about Satan is that he will try to bring confusion in what God declares to us. Again, Genesis chapter 3. Eve, did God really say that you will die? Did he really say that? You won't really die. You'll be like God. You'll be more wise. And that is why we are to have a knowledge of the scriptures, a working knowledge of the scriptures, and keep the scripture in context. Because if you don't do that, if you don't know what the text is telling you, then Satan will come along and con you. And Satan will try to tempt you as he whispers, didn't Paul write that all things are lawful for me? So go ahead, just in your liberty, you can do whatever it is that you want. In your liberty, you can go ahead and live any way that you want. And there are those even behind the pulpit that are saying that we, we live in grace and we can live any way that we want in any lifestyle that we want. And they'll take things out of context. And the enemy loves that. And so he will do the same thing. The Bible says that, that you have liberty in Christ. That you can just do what you want. That's what grace is all about. We know that's not what the Bible is saying. So enjoy what the world has to offer. The pleasures of the world. 
And we know that Paul would write, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. And it was Paul that wrote in Romans chapter 6, should we continue in sin that grace abounds? He says, certainly not. Why would I do that? Because we're dead to sin and we identify with Christ and we reckon it to be so and we yield our bodies over as an instrument of righteousness. We have seen in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, and we will continue this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Join us as we're getting such important lessons from Jeremiah, speaking to a nation that they were going through a time of drought. And not only literally, but spiritually. And we know that they were listening to the false prophets and given over to false worship. And they thought, nothing's going to happen to us. You know, we have a form of religiousness. We're going to worship any way that we want. They were full of sin. They were full of carnality. They thought, judgment's not going to come to us. And here's Jeremiah saying, it's going to come. There's going to be no consequences. And we know that the Bible tells us there's consequences for sin. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. That's a spiritual law for all of us. And he tells us not to sin because he doesn't want us to get bound up in sin and carnality and be defeated and, you know, um, to be um, one that we end up reaping the consequences of the world. He says, stay away. Live for me. Be holy just as I am holy, as Peter reminds us in this epistle. So Satan, it is written, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, You shall not tempt the Lord your God, and in him only shall you serve. You are to walk in his ways, commit to his ways. Don't tempt him, be submitted to him. Jesus saying, I know that my Father is with me. I know that he'll protect me. And I don't have to demand something spectacular uh, from him to prove his love for me, because I know his word is true. Now in this temptation, Satan, he's smart. In this temptation, I think that Satan is making a subtle suggestion to Jesus as the Messiah. Because in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, it reads, And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. So it led to a common belief among the, the Jews that Messiah would suddenly appear in the sky, coming down to his temple. And later, the Pharisees would come to Jesus, we're going to see in Matthew's gospel, and they're going to say, show us a sign. They wanted some spectacular sign from, from heaven. And it's interesting that they came to Jesus when he'd been healing the people of every kind of sickness and disease, and they say, show us a sign. They wanted something spectacular. They want the sky to open up and, and, and you know, some spectacular sign. And what Satan is suggesting that in this temptation is why don't you do what the people are expecting you to do do some miraculous display and Jesus spoke to those religious leaders who wanted that spectacular sign and said no sign's going to be given except for the sign of Jonah just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the heart of that large fish in the belly of that large fish so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth speaking of his resurrection he would say, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days, speaking of his body. His crucifixion and resurrection is the ultimate spectacular display of God to prove his love and provision for you and for me. Please always remember that. If you ever doubt his provision and love for you, go to the cross. And remember what we talked about on Resurrection Sunday a few weeks ago. 
in these dark times where you got to keep going to the empty tomb, even as Mary Magdalene came, as John's gospel says, when it was still dark, we got to keep coming back to that empty tomb and being reminded that he rose from the grave and he's alive. But let's continue in verse 8 of the chapter. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. And then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So Satan takes Jesus up on a high mountain and says, look at all the kingdoms of the world. They're yours if you bow down to me. And notice that Jesus did not dispute the fact that Satan had authority over the nations. You had the right to offer the kingdoms of the world to Jesus. So again, the scripture declares that he is the God of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, little g. And as we discuss in our Revelation story uh, study, that in Revelation chapter 5, remember John, that he was weeping because there was the, that seven-sealed uh, seven scroll that was in the hand of the Father, and no one was worthy to open the scrolls. And John was weeping, and it is believed it was the title deed to the earth. And then the one, the, the one uh, speaking of Jesus, took the title deed from the Father, and he's the one uh, that redeemed the world to himself as he went to the cross and died for you and for me. So when Adam sinned, that he forfeited that title deed over to Satan. That's why, again, he's called the, the God of this age. And we know that, that Jesus is going to come back in the second coming, and he's going to establish his kingdom. He's redeemed the world back to himself. And here it's interesting that in this temptation, he takes Jesus up, and, and he says, all the kingdoms are yours. Jesus did not dispute that. Now, if I was to take you up on Long's Peak and showed you all of eastern Colorado and, and up into Wyoming and all around and said, it's all yours if you bow down and worship me, you would think you're crazy. It's not yours to give. And so Satan says, I can give you all these things if you worship me. And here's a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. I'll just give you the whole world now, all the kingdoms. And you don't have to go through the sufferings. There's an easier way. Just bow down and worship me. Satan will offer you the whole world. Do you know that? Usually he doesn't have to do that. But Jesus said, what good is it if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? And so here in this case, the world was being offered to Jesus. And he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13, You shall worship the Lord your God in him, only you shall serve. And Jesus right there says, I refuse to take any shortcuts. He wasn't going to worship Satan. He, wasn't, he came to redeem the world. And when we get to Matthew chapter 13, we're going to see the kingdom parables that are spoken. And it's interesting that in chapter 13, he told one parable of, of the kingdom of heavens like a treasure hidden in the field. And, and a man came and found, and for joy over it, he gives all that he has to buy the field to take the treasure out. And, and I've heard different interpretations of that. But in the kingdom parables, he, he explains, like for the parable that tears, he says that the field is the world. So we can 
take that interpretation what Jesus gives us and we can know because I've heard well we gave up everything to you know to to buy the field and and Jesus is our treasure no Jesus is the one that gave up everything to buy the field which is the world and he didn't do it just to get a planet he did it to get the treasure you're the treasure he loves you and the only way for him to have the treasure and for us to have fellowship and relationship with the Father, to have forgiveness, was by the way of the cross. It was God that promised us that he would send his son and provide a way for salvation, for forgiveness and reconciliation. And the promise is given to us that as we believe in him, he will give us life. That he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think in this life. Because listen, he's our satisfaction. He's our provider. He's our certainty in this uncertain world. He's our stability in all the, the things that are being shaken around us. And his promises are true for us. Stay close to him. Stay in his love. And so we have seen that Satan in these temptations in the areas of the Father's provision, the Father's protection, and now the Father's promises. And how did Jesus keep from falling into the enemy's trap and doubts and deception? Notice when Satan came in these temptations that Jesus didn't yell at Satan. He didn't, you know, try to karate chop him or kick him. He didn't try to reason with him. What Jesus did was he did this. It is written. It is written. It is written. All three cases. He used the word of God. That was Jesus' weapon. That two-edged sword. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. As you know, many of you from Ephesians chapter 6, that it's part of the armor of God. We're told that, that, he, that we are to be strong in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power and spirit, spiritual wickedness in, in high places. Put on the whole armor of God because he throws the fiery darts at us. Spiritual warfare is real, and you and I are to put on the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation. The, have your waist girded with truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Having your, sawed your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Taking on the shield of faith so that you can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take on the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and so you use that as your weapon the sword of the spirit going back to the word of God and it's essential for us to continue in the word of God to have a working knowledge of the word of God and notice that Satan did not have an answer to the word the religious leaders we're going to see going through Matthew are going to come to Jesus and they're going to say what about this? And try to trap him and trick him and back him into a corner. And Jesus would answer by saying, it is written, or have you not read, or do you not know? And he quotes the scriptures. So we are to have that working knowledge in using the word of God and then believing what the word of God declares and willing to submit to the word of God. James says in chapter 4 of his epistle, listen, this is a promise. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that's what Satan does here. He leaves because Jesus uses the word and Satan has no defense against that. 
Hey, Satan, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. I will not have the material realm, fleshly pleasures and desire. Take me away from the will of God. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord thy God. <clears throat> I will be obedient to my Father. It is written, you shall worship the Lord thy God. I will give my heart to him alone. So what are we going to do as the enemy, and he will, <clears throat> comes and he tries to tempt us in these dry times that we're in. Luke says that Satan left looking for a more opportune time. He will keep coming back. And there's an opportune time for him to really discourage us and attempt us. What do we do? Use the sword of the Spirit. That's why I'm encouraging. Listen. Continue reading your Bibles daily. Continue to be praying. Continue to be tuned in to these teachings that we have on our website. Continue to grow in the Word. And be refreshed and renewed in the word. And then being obedient to the word. So Father we thank you. We thank you so much for this important lesson to us. In, in this dry time that we find all of ourselves in. And I do pray that Lord that you would strengthen us and help us. And I know that there are those out there right now that are hurting. That are frustrated. Lord in, in different ways. Because of all the uncertainty and and. Lord, I just pray for you to refresh them. Lord, may we hunger and thirst for righteousness for you personally during this time. Because I know the enemy is going to come along and try to trick us and discourage us and bring us down and tempt us to, to fall away from you. And this is a time where we need to be drawn close to you. So Lord, help us to continue to grow in the word Help us to remember our hope is in you and to stay close to you, not to fulfill our fleshly desires. Lord, not to be ones that, that we're going to dismiss what the word says to us, to move away from your love, from your provision, but to trust you every day and to rest in your love. Father, I pray that you bless everyone here. I, I don't know all the challenges that people are going through, but I know you do. So keep us in your love. Help us to stay committed to the word of God, knowing that your word is certain and true in these uncertain times. Don't allow the enemy to confuse us or discourage us. Lord, I want to pray right now if there's anyone here, maybe perhaps listening or going to listen later, that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. That he did go to the cross to redeem the world, not so he can have another planet, but that he can have you. He's going to establish his kingdom when he comes back the second time. And we're going to rule and reign with him. But do you want to be a part of that kingdom? It means that you come and Confess that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus, who went to the cross and died for your sins, made atonement for your sins, and he rose again. The tomb is empty. He proved that he is the Son of God. And you come. You come in faith. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You can't merit it. It comes by faith alone and asking Jesus for forgiveness, the one who died on the cross for you, and asking him to come into your heart as Lord and Savior. Will you do that right now?
He loves you. Today is the day of salvation where you can pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me. You rose again and you're alive speaking to my heart. So be my personal Lord and Savior. I have sinned. Forgive me. And I thank you for loving me. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name.